Hello, this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Rebecca Tippett. She's the Director of Carolina Demography at the Carolina Population Center at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Rebecca, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And so I want to start with just a really basic question because I feel like people talk about demographics all the time, but I don't think I've ever actually heard kind of a definition or explanation of just exactly what that is. So could you give that to me? Well, um, the one that I've been going with lately is basically we study really the basics of population, right? So it's kind of how many people are there, how old are they, what sex are they, you know, what are other characteristics? And really at a fundamental level, demography studies a few basic processes. We study births, we study death, and we study movement, um, migration. And that's kind of the foundation of demography and then understanding how those things change over time or how they um, how the characteristics of who's maybe having babies versus who's dying and who's moving in and who's moving out can have really profound impacts on a place above and beyond just a total population change. But I do more what's called applied demography. So I'm really focused more on helping people understand the local demographic context. And, and I want to get to that in a minute because I think that's an important part of, of this discussion. But um, first I want to ask another really basic question, which is why should anybody care about demography? I mean, because it's really cool and fascinating. No, um, <laughs> mainly because I think demography tells us a lot about how and why a place is changing, as well as it gives us a glimpse into the potential future of that place and maybe potential future challenges or opportunities. So from a citizen day in, day out perspective, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Although if you think about it, we're often really gauging demography when we're looking for neighborhoods to live in or you know when we say is this community filled with people who are at a similar phase in my life as I am that's age and household structure right you know um, maybe that's education and income as well because you want to be surrounded by people who may have the same interests and activities that you do all of those are kind of basic demography um, from a public policy and planning perspective Demography tells you about what, you know, how much do you maybe need to build new schools or plan for new schools, or you might have an increased demand for certain services associated with different ages, because we know that there's a lot of um, variation in terms of when we think about civic engagement, likelihood that you're going to be working, likelihood that you're going to be going to school, likelihood that you're going to get certain illnesses or that you're going to be sick and need health care are often what we call age graded. So they're associated very strongly with different age categories. And knowing that kind of basic composition of your population can tell you about, well, how much do I need to plan for X, or I think that this is going on, or I think this is going to happen in the future, does what's kind of currently here suggest that that's a realistic plan? So obviously there's a business and a political implication as well, but it's really that we can layer on all these insights because we know how a lot of things cohere by some of these basic buckets, for, for lack of an elegant term, of kind of how we categorize groups of people into um, trying to get our arms around it, right? It's not perfect. We know that there's a lot of variation within that and individuals are really different. But, you know, thinking about how um, we're often not focused on 
individual behavior. We're focused about kind of aggregate macro behavior and what potentially what seems like subtle shifts can mean for implications and kind of how they propagate and push forward further down. So a lot of times we're thinking about what happened in the past. Is it consistent with what we're seeing in the present? And can we use that understanding to make a prediction about what's going to happen in the future? Or do we see discontinuity emerging in the data? And, and so I think, uh, you know, as you're talking, you're getting into a, what you do, which is applying demographic <laughs> yeah. information, um, which I think is really important. And, and I know that, that we've published some of uh, things you've written on our website. And for instance, one had the title, majority of North Carolina high school graduates will continue their education, right, which is an interesting piece of information, but also really important for, you know, the powers that be to decide, all right, well, we need to, you know, make sure that there is education for them to continue after graduation and, and figure out what they want to do and, and, you know, what kind of certificates or degrees they want to get. You know, it, it has, as you say, mm -hmm. it has implications. So, so talk a little bit about, about what you do applying demographic, demographic information and how uh, important that is to kind of policymaking. So, I mean, some of the fundamentals that I do outside of education actually would be an example that's very clearly with policy is I have been asked a few times now to go present to the House Select Committee on Long-Term Transportation Planning and Strategic Funding. And they want to know, you know, how many people are living in a place? Are they working age, right? Are they commuting into other places? What maybe are some of the trends that we need to think about? Are more people working from home? and are new areas growing? What are the implications for rural? You know, that and kind of um, thinking about how do seasonal populations influence the need for roads that might not be well captured by existing data. All of those are the sorts of things that people want to consider and they want to try to have the best information at hand to understand it. When we think about education, one of the things that I've been really paying a lot of attention to right now as we hear a lot about this, you know, racial ethnic change, um, if you've heard uh, Dr. Jim Johnson speak about it, he talks about the browning and the grain of North Carolina and the nation more broadly. And what that's really referring to is kind of the rising influence of newer immigrant groups in the state, particularly our Hispanic or Latino um, community. And where that I think is very important to understand is that the second generation of um, Hispanic immigrants is just now coming of age. And we haven't had that happen in the state previously. And so thinking about that population as something similar to, but distinct from the historical kind of groups that we've thought about and tried to incorporate and move on to different pathways, I think is really important for businesses, for educators and for policymakers because I think if there are unique challenges that may be faced by those students as they navigate education because their families may have different capacities to assist on that way, that that's an example of where if we don't start to understand that that is on many metrics they look similar to traditionally underserved populations, but there are new challenges that layer in that may further that if you don't fully account for those, you may not develop the appropriate best way to address it. And you may be spending resources and time and energy in a way that could be better utilized kind of 
reorienting and addressing that from a different path. And I think you talked about some of that in a, a piece you wrote that we published on the My Future NC mm-hmm. Commission and how, to, how it needed to take into account the, the, the demographic changes in the younger population as it works on its goal, which is to create a kind of a continuum of education service from pre-K to, to higher education. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the things is that as we see kind of growth in, um, mo- most of the school age population growth has been um, it, driven by growing um, minority groups. So primarily growth in the Hispanic population. And that's actually not because of higher fertility rates among the adult population. It's because they're just much younger and younger people are much more likely to have babies than they are to die. And I think the median age for Hispanics in the state is around 25. So half of all of the North Carolina Hispanic population is under 25. And the median age for the white non-Hispanic population is like 42. So there's some just basic, you know, where you are in what you're likely to be doing from a demographic perspective. So that youth is driving growth in the child population that's more Hispanic. Um, but what we know is that the these are predominantly at this point the children of immigrant parents. Our Hispanic adult population is heavily immigrant. Many of them have limited English capabilities and have not completed high school, often haven't completed beyond eighth grade. So while the children from kind of you're looking at an income as an indicator or other things, these um, the Hispanic population may look similar to a black or American popula- American Indian population that we're traditionally thinking of as maybe having some of the same challenges of, you know, um, navigating that next step. But you have to then further account for the fact that they have really limited exposure to post-secondary education in the home. And Black and American Indian students also have less exposure to parents who have completed a degree, but not at quite the same rate as our Hispanic children. And then you have issues of literacy and um language and possibly citizenship status that further kind of layer in there and may complicate the capacity of those students to move up and through that continuum, which means that if the state is serious about meeting its goals, if we're not able to bring on 15% of the child population successfully, we're really potentially setting up to not meet those goals. And in fact, the changing composition is going to slightly dampen projected growth just unless we start to address the um, disparities and kind of group attainment more directly. And so as you look at demographic information and try to apply it to what's happening in our world in North Carolina, what challenges do you face as you try to kind of get this information to the people you think need to know it? I don't know. I think people in general are really receptive. Probably the biggest challenge is like figuring out how to message and not message in that, oh, you know, I have a particular agenda, but message in the sense that this is really complex. And even though I said, you know, demography is pretty basic, it's about how many people, how old they are, you know, um, where they're from, where they're going. 
I just spent a really long time explaining something that is kind of a chart. It's like a chart, right? It's one chart on a blog post. And really unpacking it is actually pretty meaty stuff. And so it's making sure that people understand, trying to make sure from my perspective that I don't get so lost in the weeds that I lose the capacity to convey kind of the basics. And also I think being really cognizant the fact that people often have a really good sense of where they are. And sometimes the that sense is fully accurate and they can provide a lot of local context that I don't know. So it's a great synergy between that. But often um, people lack the bigger picture, not for lack of trying, but it's because there's so much data out there. There's so much stuff to pay attention to that it can be really overwhelming and I get overwhelmed by it and I love data. So I can only imagine if you're somebody who just says, you know, just tell me what I need to know and tell me what it means. Um, trying to navigate the current landscape of reporting is really um, challenging. And so, you know, the, the internet age, the, the digital age, it must be a really exciting time for demographics because I'm sure you have access to more than than people would have prior but can you talk a little bit about how uh, this this profession this study has kind of changed over time I mean I've been really fortunate right in that a lot of what I do is the sort of things that I can do are things that maybe used to take months not years of data compilation or you know thinking about the fact that there's these websites where I can get what's called the integra integrated public use microdata series IPOMS it's a project out of the Minnesota Population Center and they take they have a repository of all the censuses conducted by countries in the world for example and they harmonize them and they make them easily digestible over time and they bring the variables in alignment. So if you wanted to make cross-country comparisons over time, you can do it with a click. You can get that data set in a click. And that was something that maybe wasn't even possible, right? Because not only did you have to get the data, you'd have to translate it. So they've done a lot of that work for you. And they actually have the United States data back to 1850. So if I want to understand how education has changed or how we're talking about it has changed or how um, all of that in North Carolina has changed, I can go back almost 100 years and get really clear, a really clear picture of how the state has changed over time and how that reflects the nation and you know how does that relate to industry and occupation. And that would have been much more challenging even just 20 years ago. So I think between that and the um, increasing availability of GIS or geographic information system technology to put things into maps, because putting things into place and being able to visualize how things are occurring differently across space actually is very impactful and has a profound it profoundly changes our capacity to really understand what might be going on. Because something that sometimes doesn't look that meaningful in a chart and look really different once you get it on a map. So let's look at the flip side of that. Is there a way in which the wealth of information we have today presents a challenge for people in your profession? I would say the biggest challenge actually that I see is the idea that because we now have all this information out there and because of the I think 
people misconstrue big data as being something that's just easy to get and out there and covers everybody and tells you all that you need to know. And that's actually not the case. I think big data is very useful for the people who collect it for their purposes. But for those of us who want to understand populations, big data has applications, but it is not a substitute for federally collected products and, sur and surveys like the American Community Survey and the census. So to the extent that a misunderstanding of what is already out there and what level of quality that has may pose increasing um, pushback on the federal collection processes, I have real concerns. And I also have concerns about how much increasing things on privacy are going to intersect with the 2020 census, which is going to be an online push. Right? So they're trying to get that online data collection. And that found those things lay the groundwork for any of our understanding. If we don't have good federally collected data products, we can't really have good understanding of what's going on because we don't know the true population in a place. So everything else is just guesses if we don't have a good census or a good American community survey. And so you talked a little bit about the, the changing demographics of kind of the youth population and how that might change education. Can you talk a little bit more broadly about demographic changes in North Carolina and what effect that might have uh, on education at all levels? So one of the biggest things that we're seeing, obviously, is population aging. So there's a few things that are going on there. One, um, we have baby boomers. Population aging is a really good new, good news, right? Because it means it, it beats the alternative, right? Because you're continuing to move up that age, um, that age bracket, we're reaping the benefits of improvements in life expectancy and healthcare. At the same time, we've seen fertility rates really took a hit in the Great Recession, and they haven't rebounded. So we have more people at older ages, fewer babies being born. So we have a lot of places where they're actually, in contrast to Wake and Mecklenburg and their suburbs that are fast growing and other some of our metro areas where they're facing challenges on, you know, where do we build new schools? We have many communities in the states that have fewer children today than they did maybe five years ago. And that population may continue to decline, which means increasingly they're going to be facing challenges of school consolidation and closure. Um, I think last year alone, we had 60 counties where there, more people died than babies were born. So six of every 10, basically North Carolina counties, we had natural decrease, which is what that is called. And we have many counties where already the population that's 65 and over as a share of population, it's larger than the child population. So when you start to think about um, support for investment in schools, you're going to have a growing number of people who don't have any children in schools. And maybe aren't, you know, they're not in their career, so they don't really need employees that are meeting certain qualifications because they're increasingly they're retired. And then if you layer in the potential that there's also a racial generation gap where um, I, I don't know how much this is supported by research, but I've heard people voice this concern is that when maybe the population of older adults who are heavier involved in the um, political processes and the voting and voting for bond referendums looks really different than the child population and who's being served by some of those schools, does that create an increasing challenge for maybe getting some of those um, education-oriented um, 
policies approved in that community just because of perceptions of who who needs it and who's being served and whether that's serving people like you. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for talking with me. Very welcome. We've been talking with Rebecca Tippett. She is the director of Carolina Demography at the Carolina Population Center at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I'm Alex Granados, senior reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.